What's up, ragamuffins? This is Bros, Bibles, and Beer, episode 34. In this episode, we have Brandon Andrus, writer, blogger, podcaster. We recorded this the day before the presidential election. So a little politics are touched on, mainly why Brandon does not vote anymore. And we touch on how he went from conservative, political-minded, evangelical to where he is now. You can find him at brandonandress.com. That's Brandon, A-N-D-R-E-S-S.com. And check out his podcast, Outside the Walls Podcast with Brandon Andrus. We also read a listener review on iTunes. And please remember to review us on iTunes. It's what pushes this podcast forward. Also, follow us on Twitter at Bros Bibles Beer. Facebook, you can like us, Bros Bibles Beer. And you can follow us on Instagram, Bros Bibles Beer. Also, check out our website, bbbpod.com. There you'll find pictures that we take during the episodes, as well as show notes and resources for every episode. Again, thanks for joining us. Now, let's hear from Brandon. It was building up to a climax of how many bodies are in your backyard, correct? (laughs) I've never confessed that. So, Brandon, what's the deal with this social media hiatus? Oh, man, I have no idea. I was just, I think at the beginning of October, I was just working, and there was nothing premeditated whatsoever. I was just standing somewhere, and I just thought, I'm done. And there there was actually no thought put into it whatsoever, I actually did do a podcast on silence and solitude, so I'm sure that that was parked in the back of my head. But honestly, right. it was just so spontaneous. And anytime that I do that, I, you know, it, it, it it's a double-edged sword. I mean, on one hand, there's the real benefit of cutting yourself off and kind of finding that space, you know, that, that place of breathing a little bit and not having to carry so much burden around with everything and everyone that's going on. But... On the other side of it, there's a real uh, emptiness and loss, I think, because there's such a, you know, so many people that I'm connected with socially, and it just kind of hurts whenever I just say I'm done with something like that. So it's been bittersweet. I mean, I'm definitely finding a lot of peace, and my wife is still on social media, so every once in a while she say, oh, did you see, (laughs) you know, something? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So. Yeah, I wish it was a little more well thought out, but it's actually not. But I can tell you that the benefit of it has been really pretty amazing. I bet your blood pressure is lower than if you're, you've been on it consistently. How about that? I mean, considering that everyone else's blood pressure is high from the stress going into tomorrow, <laughs> I'm, sure, yeah. I'm sure that mine is like at the very bottom compared to everyone else. And I mean, th- that's kind of one unintended consequence that's just been better than anything is with all of the election hype and everyone at everyone else's throats. I mean, I really seriously did not consider that being a, a benefit because I didn't even think about it. But then once I got off of social media, I thought, wow, this is a perfect, perfect timing to be away from it. So, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. 
Nice. So for the listener, we are recording the night before the presidential election, and this will be out maybe a day or two after the election, I'm sure. So it, it's cool if we get into politics, that's fine. But just so <laughs> if anybody wants to give any predictions right now, and I'll just edit it so you look like a genius, go for it. That's Destruction. Destruction. <laughs> Destruction. Uh, Wait, we did, we did know who Brandon was voting for, right? Yeah, so did you, Brandon, did you already mail in for Trump, or are you going to vote for Trump tomorrow morning? I, I like how you set that up. <laughs> wow, so so you assume that since I'm in Indiana that I'm going Trump. No, actually, you know, I, I don't vote. I don't vote at all. And, you know, it's, it's completely religiously based. And I, I told somebody tonight that Tolstoy, Tolstoy really screwed me up about three or four years ago. And... Um, yeah, I'm just I abstain conscientiously. <laughs> well, that's that's great and terrible because I just lost the pool. Zach said you probably didn't vote. And nice. <laughs> man, <yeah. laughs> that is a bummer. I'm probably more familiar with your work right. than the other guys, so yeah, I I cheated kind of. <laughs> It's a good guess. The funny thing is, is that, and, and I, I'm sure my dad may be listening at some point, but uh, I was with him on Saturday and he said, so who are you voting for? And I just quizzically looked at him and I was like, I'm not voting. And I thought, I've been writing about this stuff for probably 10 years. <laughs> so it shouldn't be too much of a surprise at this point yeah. that that I'm not. But I'll tell Thanks you something. Thanks for reading my stuff, Dad. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, the funny thing was, you know, just kind of a funny aside. My, I have a 16-year-old girl, a 13-year-old girl, and a 5-year-old boy. And the two girls go to school, and their teachers are really intent upon having assignments where they're writing about presidential candidates and kind of making the pitch for a candidate. And the girls always come home and they're like, hey, we don't know a whole lot about any of the candidates because you guys never talk about it. And so I think it's kind of funny on one hand, uh, I am able to talk to them about it pretty eloquently, I hope, because I pay attention. But the funny thing that happened the other day is that my 16 year old, she's a junior, she was in her class and the teacher actually wanted them to raise their hands to vote uh, for a candidate and they did the voting and she told me that she abstained and I never talked to her about this stuff. So I was kind of proud of her in one sense. You know, I think that she said that she got a lot of crap from both sides of the room and they were really giving oh, her a hard time. But, you know, that's kind of the way I feel when I tell people that I don't vote. I get a lot of crap. Yeah. People are trained. It seems like people are trained for you have to vote. I mean, not voting is almost you're not. And you're not being an American. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? And, and I don't want to be dismissive of people and I want to be really respectful. And so I completely get it. And, you know, but I would say in the same way that they believe that it's their honor and duty to vote, I would say that it's my honor and duty not to vote. So, you know, I think there's got to be mutual respect on every side. And I think it's hard sometimes for people to understand how I could have a perspective like that. But you know, and the, the the thing that's tough is that for me to explain my position probably takes way longer than most people have the time to listen to it. So unfortunately, I just kind of give a shrug of the shoulder and move along. Right. 
Yeah, I would so criticize you right now. Oh yeah, completely. <laughs> but uh, I didn't register, so. Oh I'm gosh, my 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 over the years, <laughs> my my skin is so thick at this point. I'm not sure anybody could say anything <laughs> to really hurt my yeah. feelings. So. Yeah, I, I'm. I've grown weary. This is actually the first election where I I did vote for some things, and I voted third party. So it was my first election of not voting for one of the two main candidates, which feels really liberating. I I grew up hyper conservative uh-huh. and Republican till I die kind of thing. So this is the first election where I I don't feel anxiety over the results. I'm gonna watch very interested in the process. I'm kind of a little bit of a political nerd, but sure, uh, man, it feels great to kind of be free of that. Well, and I, I mean, I think you've tapped into something and maybe this is the heart of where, you know, cause I, I was on with the pastors about six months ago. We talked about politics and I think Inglorious Pastors podcast. Yeah. Shout out, uh, hashtag, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was on there and You know, they were really pressing me around Christians and voting and election. And, you know, I am hardcore about it. But I would say at the same time that you're not a bad person if you vote. And I I think that that's kind of the thing that needs to be said. I mean, each person can make their own decision. But at the heart of it, and I think that this is maybe the key, is one, not feeling the burden of how it turns out. Maybe maybe our Christian posture should be not not being burdened or worried or anxious, you know, or being uh, anxiety driven uh, for the outcome. But I think beyond that, how do we treat people in the process? And, you know, we had a we had our house church tonight and we were talking about First Corinthians 13, which is kind of the love passage. And I, I think that my my heart just really longs for us to care a whole lot more about um, the things that last and the things that matter and the things that don't divide. And so it's it's not bad for anybody to have a position. It's not bad for anyone to go out and vote. But I would also say that how we conduct ourselves is of the utmost importance. And I would say that, you know, having a posture of humility and love in the process. And I kind of quoted um, this passage from Jesus, and it's kind of a parable, but at the end of it, he says, those who are with me gather and those who are against me scatter. And I think that it's a really, it's a really good summation of where we can be in all of this. Are we going to be the people that are productive and are helping the cause? Or are we being people that are scattering and being uh, unproductive? So, you know, maybe that's my heart. And I'm glad that you found peace in voting and not feeling burdened by it, because I think that that's certainly a win on your end. But I wish we could uh, get a lot more people in that place as well. Yeah, I, I have a piece too, but I, I did have to buy, I don't know, 500 <laughs> rounds of ammo. <laughs> piece. Nice. I knew that was coming. No, I actually read an article today. Um, I guess, you know, you, you can almost expect this every four years, but I saw an article where the, the people who sell all of these supplies um, for the end of the world and Armageddon and everything – where they you, you can buy like a crate that has 52 weeks of meals for four people and it's like $5,000 and it seems like every four years or at any crisis these guys are just maxim- <laughs> maxing out oh yeah it's Good unbelievable for yeah. oh well, it's great we have for the business. added benefit of uh, a more 
liberal <laughs> government in California. So they passed laws and. Uh, so January 1st, there's going to be uh, restrictions on ammo sales and stuff like that. So that was more of my uh, little dig. Yeah. So Scott's reacting. He's he's picking up all the ammo while he can. So is that right? Is, is that what's happening right now? Is that those people who um, are fearful of that law passing in California, they're loading up, stocking up right now? Oh, it's already passed. It's going to take oh, effect. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. but yes, they are. Yeah. And so, answered your question. So, ammo sales and gun sales are skyrocketing. I, I, I've been to the the gun store a couple times, and they're just packed. I waited in line for I think an hour just wow. to talk to someone. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, yeah. Brandon, you weren't always like this. So, take us back, if you don't mind. In the beginning, Brandon was born under what version of God? How were you raised? Uh, I, I think from what I've picked up, probably a lot like uh, you guys. Um, I grew up in Church of Christ, um, a, a little more evangelical bent, uh, definitely a little more uh, Republican, conservative. Um, and yeah, so I think it was pretty much that way until... I'm going to say it uh, probably until I read Myth of a Christian Nation by Greg Boyd. And oh, he, nice. And he broke my back. <laughs> he killed me. And I, I think that that was the first time where, where I was really, truly introduced to an alternative way of thinking. It's definitely the first time where I understood the kingdom of God because I'd always heard about it in a variety of iterations. And it was definitely the first time that I actually understood what it meant and then what the consequences of that were. And I think that that was the scariest part for me because I could see my past and my future kind of crashing together. And just trying to figure out how to sort it all out and then what that meant for me on a practical basis. And then beyond that, what what that meant for how people viewed me or what they thought of me or, you know what I mean? So I, I, I think yeah. that there was that, that moment probably about, uh, maybe it was about a decade ago. And I mean, the rest is history after that. I mean, it... it once you're confronted with the kingdom of God and whenever you understand it, um, I'm kind of a person where once I realize, I don't know, once I figure something out, I am all in. I, I'm 110 percent. You know, it had my heart, my soul, everything. And, you know, it, while it was scary in some sense, I think... You know, I just jumped in and just immersed myself in it and read everything that I could and just really prayed over all of it. And, I mean, you know, I'm still growing. I mean, we're all still growing through this. And there's a lot of things that I, I don't completely have ironed out. And I'm not perfect in any sense. So I'm not, you know, pointing fingers or even pointing fingers from at where I came from at all. Um, you know, I think that my biggest thing at this point is just once you found something that's so beautiful and once you found something uh, that Jesus calls a, a treasure and a desolate field, and whenever you see the riches, you want to do everything that you can to bring people into that. And, and so in my latest podcast, I actually talk about that a little bit as just saying, 
you know, we have this tendency sometimes to whenever we have new information or whenever we have um, some enlightenment, there's a tendency to judge other people or to get very frustrated when when they're not at the place that you have entered. And I was there. I, I was on the receiving end of that probably about 15 years ago. And I know how it feels. And, you know, a guy told me, he's like, people like you will never get it. And I think, wow. you know, I, I did get it, but it wasn't because of him. You know, he, he, he had what I needed. He knew what the kingdom of God was, but at the same time, he shut the door of the kingdom of God in my face. And it took me, you know, another 10 years to figure it out. And I don't want to be that same person. I don't, I don't want to be the kind of person that is judgmental towards people that are in whatever configuration of church, no matter their walk. Um, you know, there is something more beautiful. There is something more liberating. There is something more free, uh, something more rich that actually means something at a real life heart level today as we live and as we breathe. And the greatest thing ever is to invite people into that. So, you know, in one sense, um, I am so appreciative of the background that I have. I'm so appreciative of, you know, what kind of formed me and shaped me and gave me the Bible knowledge and the Bible verses and everything. And I'm just so appreciative to be put on the path that I was on in order to get to this place. So that's kind of where I've been and where I'm at. So Brandon, what does that look like when you say you invite people in? What does that look like? I mean, is this in your community? Well, I mean, I think it's just wherever I'm at. Yeah. Um, You know, I kind of had, it's really funny. I think back many, many years ago when I was sitting in a Sunday school class and the discussion was how to witness to other people. And (laughs) that's easy. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it was really, I mean, and at that time, I mean, I was in that same position where I sat there and I thought, you know, how do you, how do you get into a conversation about Jesus? How do you get into a conversation about you know, just life and where you're at. And, you know, I, I sat there with people and probably thought many of the same things like, well, you know, if they bring up something about this, then that'll give me the opportunity to bring up that. And then we'll be in a conversation about Jesus, you know, and it was kind of this very mechanical, um, somewhat fearful way of doing it. And, I think to the place where I've moved today, it's like it's such a part of just my breath, my the way that I breathe, the way that I, you know, live my life is that, you know, I don't think that I'm going on street corners and preaching to anyone, but I hope that through every conversation and not every conversation, I mean, I, I screw up right. a ton, but, you know, I think through the conversations that I have and no matter where I'm at, I just want that to be you know, a continual invitation into a greater conversation or that people would see through my love or my service, just something way different. And tonight we were talking about that in our house church, you know, that right now everyone is at at each other's throats. And right now there is so much division and so much animosity and so much hatred towards people. And it's just bubbling over. And in a lot of ways, the candidates that we've nominated are projections of war, of our hearts right now. And I just said, we desperately need people that will just reflect the love of God into the world, you know. And, and so 
I mean, I can get very specific with you about examples, but I think it's really nothing more than just being completely countercultural to what's going on right now, to be people of hope, to be people of love, to be people of patience, to be people of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Right. People want, I mean, people want to have conversations about the stuff that the, that it's divisive and we're as Christians trying to have conversations to where we're listening to people who are speaking of all of the the craziness, for lack of a better word, right. in our world, and and when you get into the conversation, um, I think people are expecting a battle, and <laughs> when you don't give them the battle, it's almost uh, shocking. Yeah, <laughs> it's not satisfying because um, people really want to be in the chaos of it all, and you know, I guess having those conversations. Um, can be good. It's it kind of shines a, a little bit of a, a light on the fact that people are absorbed in the process, um, you know, the political process right now, but just in general, just our society in America. But I, as you spoke, as you were speaking, I was thinking about you know you talk about the house churches you have and conversations that you're having. I'm just curious: are you having? Are you doing life with other? men um, in your circle of friends um, where there's just a genuine uh, sharing of, of life? Yeah, I mean... I mean, the challenge is that, uh, you know, you, family and marriage and... Yeah, I mean, so there's a group that... And, and I've I've been on the outs a little bit more, so I'm taking the blame myself. But for probably about six years, I've been with a group of guys that get together once a week and it's our confession group. And, you know, it's one. What did, what did you confess? Exactly. <laughs> Most recent confession. You can trust us. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I mean, about six, I think it was like six or seven years ago, whenever I first started the confession group, you know, I had this, I had this idea, you know, I had been reading James and James talked about confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. And I just thought, man, there's just something to this about opening up these dark places of our lives and just letting the light of Christ shine in and shine through and, and, uh, kind of let the captives free. And I'd been reading some Bonhoeffer around the same time in the confessing church. And so I really, I thought, man, this this is something really lost on uh, Protestantism uh, for the most part. I mean, obviously Catholics confess and they confess to the priest. But I think, you know, on a real kind of organic level, we really don't have this this, this, uh, discipline or this practice of confessing to one another. So I I really didn't say too much because I didn't want to wig people out before I sent out the invites. But... I invited probably about six or seven of my closest friends, and I, maybe I should put closest friends in quotation marks. And we'll so, allow it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you, if you're going to start a confession group, uh, <laughs> you I mean, would obviously you got to go first, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I kind of brought everyone together, and then I started kind of laying the foundation of why this would be an important thing and how this ought to be a regular rhythm of what we're doing. And, you know, read a few passages from things and kind of gave some perspective. And then I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go first. And 
I think I just went on a litany of every single sin of my entire life that I could even think of. It was just like slam poetry confession. Well, just start with the first 10%. You know, go ahead. <laughs> was it build? I, I think it was, it was building up to a climax of how many bodies are in your backyard, correct? <laughs> I've never confessed that. Um, in any way, shape, or form that it could be recorded or re-rebroadcast re, re for anyone you else. You may have just done that, <laughs> based on your answer. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, uh, needless to say that I don't think that any of those guys came back the next week. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, really? Man, I was, uh, I was involved, uh, you mentioned Church of Christ, I was involved in the International Church of Christ for about uh, one or two months and uh, they they are a little more radical, I think. And confession was a big part of of what they did, uh, what they called discipleship. And every pretty much every time you met with uh, someone else who was above you, um, you were confessing your sin. Um, and it gets tough. You oh, know? It's yeah. tough. And, and, yeah. It's, it's t- and, and even when you get out of that, it's kind of tough to move away from because you 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 know the. It does say that you confess your sin to one another, and so you kind of, kind of put that into a different context, and uh, you know, try to interpret it more accurately. Yeah, uh, yeah. Coming out of that. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and you know, I think that that's, you know, not everybody's ready to stand up in front of the church to confess their sins, and not everyone's <laughs> ready to confess their sin to every person they pass within the context of a, a church meeting, for sure. And you know, I think that. You know, we finally got to a place where there was there was a small group of guys that kind of understood the necessity uh, of doing it, and then we started meeting together and just breaking bread and taking some wine and just confessing our sins to one another, and it it, it was really a beautiful thing because it was a place where people could confess. And there wasn't judgment. You know, we, we finally got to that place and it was a real sweet spot. And I think that it was edifying and we were lifting each other up, no judgment, praying over each other. And so there was really just more genuine community. And I, I think about the last I'm I'm 42 and I think about the 42 years of my life and the times when I feel like heaven and earth have overlapped And there's not been a whole lot of those times, you know, in the places that I've been where I really felt like that heaven and earth, heaven and earth came together. I can honestly say that in that setting with my brothers, uh, you know, sinners under the foot of the cross, you know, just confessing our sins to one another, loving each other, praying over each other, that there was just a real um, real beauty in that. Um, and now that I'm saying it, I'm confessing to you guys that I've been the guy not going lately. <laughs> so oh, man. it is a sweet, it is a sweet thing when you have a group like that, that you can just lay it out and pray Absolutely. about it and just let those burdens go. I mean, that is not, that's a rare thing. It's not something certainly to take for granted. I mean, to come across a group of men who will just live life and, you know, in freedom and trust one another. I mean, that's a huge thing. Yeah. It feels like the, the, it's woven into the fabric of American Christianity, this moralistic do the right thing, almost like sin management, as opposed to what you guys were just talking about. Yeah. And that, that's, that can't die soon enough in my book, but 
it seems to be a, a tough kill. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure that we're here to dissect every single you know root of the problem, but I think you're you're exactly right. You know, the the times that we've been in the business of sin management, we've done it to the neglect of um, love, and you know, and that's that's kind of where everything is rooted and everything flows. And I think. Whenever we are in the business of sin management, it's just cosmetic. Whenever we are really serious about just getting closer to the heart of God, then everything flows out from that, and it's way more beautiful, even confession. And, you know, I think that people would look at that and say "There's it's antithetical. There's no way that, you know, showing up and confessing our sins to uh, anyone else is a good idea, but somehow there's real life that's flowing out of that, and I can't explain it, you know? It just happens. So yeah, I think that, that was one of the right. cool things. Um, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. I was just saying you're exactly right. Don't don't pump puff Zach's head up. <laughs> yeah, if we can get a clean clip of you saying, Zach, Crater, you're in- exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was one of the uh, cool, I don't want to say cool things, but uh, just kind of something you would respect about someone uh, when uh, that whole um, that whole dating, not dating, but uh what was that site when R.C. Sproul Jr. Uh, he he uh, Ashley Madison yeah the Ashley Madison thing came out where they got hacked and um, and he he confessed uh, to going on the site and um, do you know what that was Brandon I do yep okay I love to eat Dolly yeah. Madison's okay. um, was that one of your confessions <laughs> I, I, I like their uh, honey buns and. <laughs> Wait, are we talking about oh, no, the same no, thing? Just, I'm talking just, about um, the uh, the pastry just, company, right? Did you say pastry? <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and and just just him, you know, coming out, and you know, you can question whether or not he thought he was going to get caught eventually, but um, who, you know, who'd have thought to to look his name up? I, I guess, but but just to come out uh, and uh, um, confess it, you know, in in kind of take the consequence now i mean he didn't actually do anything i i i think a lot of us look at it like well he didn't you know he went on the site but he didn't like hook up with anyone right or, right you know you're you're yeah, you're not yeah you, his wife had died and he's like man that sucks and you know you can you understand you feel lonely you didn't actually do anything right so it's just um well i mean you know it's you know sin in your heart or whatever but just, just, just to be a, an upstanding man like that, I, I, it probably needs to be more of that. I um, think so. Yeah. You, I mean, you're giving RC Sproul Jr. points. Yeah, he, he gets points. Oh I, yeah, I, it definitely, sure. definitely. I mean, a normal person would, um, I wouldn't wouldn't do that. You lose your. I mean, that's, that's how he makes money, right? Yeah. I mean, that that's his living. So. Yeah, there's a real. Um, Whenever you put it in those terms, I mean, whenever you're a person in a in a position, whenever you whenever you put stuff out like that, you know, even if you're vulnerable, there's the real downside of you know the the social uh, castigation or the financial <laughs> the financial yeah, right yeah. punishment that comes from it. So, yeah, I mean, but good grief, I mean, you guys know, I mean, we we if we had more leaders just taking those positions and those postures of humility and vulnerability and, 
just saying, you know, I mean, leading from our weakness. And I, I think that there, there's a place there where great, great credibility. I mean, because, you know, the, the way that the world works is everything is superficial and on the surface and there's real, really no substance to much. And whenever you see a person that's really being honest down to the heart level, I just think that it it has more power to me personally. Do you think that's the house church advantage? There's no I'm assuming there's no paychecks attached to running a house church with some people that you care about. And so the fact that church is done, there's so many paychecks attached to ministries and doing church the American way. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it does have the downside of when you're living and you're, you providing for your family is attached to it. You're not going to talk about how much porn you're consuming and how you're struggling with that. So is the, is the house church like 180 degrees different? Well, I'll tell you that the church that um, I was pastoring for seven or eight years, it was completely volunteer based. And, you know, I, I remember, I actually, how I remember. How big was that church? Sorry. I don't know, like a hundred people or so, 125, okay. I, something, something like that. But, you know, I, I think there, there was one Sunday, I wasn't saying this, you know, in a, um, puffing myself up or haughty way, I, I, I said, I think I was talking about, it may have been a week on pornography or, or something like that. And we were really just getting into some heavy truth, you know, and I was just kind of really laying it out there. And it may have not been the week on porn, I don't know. But I just remember saying at one point, you know, the real benefit of me being able to stand up here and say these difficult truths is that I know that you guys can't fire me. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> or, or else get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that, man, if you could find the person, if you could find the preacher that is getting paid, that is completely no holds barred, can go out and just preach truth and just be honest and vulnerable. It's like finding a needle in the haystack. And I'm not. Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, if I you find it, let let or her let it, let us know. I'm sorry. What'd you say? I said him or her, Scott. <laughs> I don't get it. Scott's the he conservative wing of Rose Bibles and beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm not saying that it can't happen. I'm just saying that you know everybody knows that. You know, it's tough. It's tough whenever your your job, your paycheck, your career is tied to um, staying within the confines of what's going to keep most people uh, comfortable and happy. And so, yeah, the benefit within a smaller house church setting is that people, I hope, uh, can speak truth to one another in love. And there's not the repercussions. There's not, you know, no one's pulling the paycheck. And um, so yeah, there's a, there's a huge benefit there. Well, yeah. And, and not just in the, the sin department, but, but, uh, doctrine, you know, theology and, uh, ho- holding to certain views that the denomination or governing body expect. Um, well, and well, actually probably views that you probably, you know, might've signed a, uh, statement of faith on. And then, man, if, if, if some new information comes to your attention, uh, you're kind of stuck because, uh, or you have to lie, man, <laughs> well, or I not think... think of it as lying, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that the house church is kind of like the wild animal and the institutionalized church is like the domesticated animal. And I just, I love the idea of the wild animal. 
Yeah, you're kind of a wild guy. I see a lot of posts, and there's these pictures of just great wilderness. Yes. And, and you recently did some backpacking. Yeah, I've done a lot recently. Um, I, I was going to tell you guys, talking about wild an- animals, um, my daughters and I went backpacking in, at the Red River Gorge in eastern Kentucky. And just a stunningly beautiful area, red rocks, a lot of natural bridges, beautiful, just great diversity and terrain. And we set up for the second night. We're in the middle of the woods, not too far off the trail. And we were in the tent, like three bears. And my daughters were like, Dad, are you afraid? And I was like, no way. You know, I've been to Alaska and Montana and Colorado, California, you name it. I've been there. No animal problems. And within three minutes of me saying that, there was this very brisk movement through the woods, probably 150 feet away, coming <laughs> right at our tent. And it was this loud huffing sound. Was Jeff there? <laughs> and it was Jeff. This was Acts 29, right? <laughs> and it was Jeff. Um, and, and my daughter said, Dad. And I go, shh, be quiet. And we just got quiet. And this thing came up on our tent and just huffed and walked around. You know, it seemed like forever, but, you know, and I mean, it was right beside our heads at the end of the tent, and then it walked wow. away, and we sat there for probably another 10 minutes, not breathing, not doing anything, and finally I said, are you guys all right? And they're like, Dad, what was that? And it was a black bear. And wow. it, you know, I, like I said, I've been everywhere. I've been in the middle of the wilderness, off trail, you know, route finding, whatever off the grid completely and never had a serious close encounter with a bear. And then I go to Kentucky. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I went, uh, I went camping uh, last weekend, uh, and, uh, got, I was in a tent and it got really windy at night and I could not sleep because every time the wind would gust up, I had a, the tarp would hit the side of the tent and I just, I had, I, and I, I'm trying to convince myself. It's not a bear. It's Same not a bear. That is and, awesome. And I just could not sleep. Ah, I, I slept in the, someone's truck the second night. I'm such a wuss. Where, where, where did you spray. go? Where were you camping? We, well, we, you know, we're in, we're in uh, Southern California. So I, your backyard? Yeah, my backyard. <laughs> yeah. That'd be my condo patio. Yeah, lay Thanks. into him, Brandon. Let him have it. It was up in uh, Fraser, Fraser Park up uh, north of L.A., kind of the grapevine area. Okay, nice. It was, it was cool, though. Yeah. Yeah, we were just in uh, California last September. We did 100 miles on John Muir. So we did uh, Sequoia, and we did Kings Canyon, and then we ended up on top of Whitney. So it was just amazing and stunning. Not bad. Great area. Brandon, when you said... When you read Greg Boyd and you were kind of doing this shift, was there any faith crisis at all? Or did you did your faith not change in God? Because that can be, well, I speak from personal experience, that can be kind of traumatic when you realize that the tradition you used to hold to and the things you believed were so true about God are gone or weren't true. That's where some people just lose it altogether. How was that for you? Well, first, let me say that I get to interview Greg Boyd at the end of this month for my podcast. So there's a plug. And I am so outside the walls podcast. So amped up about it. It's unbelievable. Um, I think we're going to be talking about ISIS (laughs) and (laughs) 
just hard, heavy stuff. So it's going to be great. Light fare. Yeah. Actually, I was talking to Shane Claiborne about a month ago. and Another name drop. You're on a roll. Keep going. <laughs> and he, I asked the first question, and he just starts laughing, and he's like, are you serious? This is the first question. <laughs> He's like, this is so deep. It's too early. I was like, dude, it's <laughs> noon. Wake up. <laughs> nice. Um, no, actually I didn't. Um, I didn't have a crisis in faith, nothing really earth shattering in my views about God, nothing like that. I mean, actually I, it, it felt more liberating and probably the only tension that I found, the only conflict that I found around that time that I read the book had more to do with the practical side of it. I think, you know, the, the real, like what, what you believe about loving your enemies and what you believe about war and what you believe about serving in the military and what you believe about being an American citizen. So it was like real practical things that I thought, it's not just things that are different from the tradition that I grew up with then. It's like it can be incredibly antagonistic to just people in general in the U.S. And, you know, on a practical level, like going to a sporting event and, you know, doing the whole um um, national you know, anthem or going to an event and doing the Pledge of Allegiance or not voting or things like that. So for me, it was more thinking about how I was going to be viewed or treated as a result of how I did or did not participate in those kind of civic activities. That was more of a concern for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just trying to think of Were you, are you, uh, was there a connection between, military service in in sporting events or I, I missed that part no 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 i just oh, kind of national anthem yeah. the flyovers oh, militarizing okay. sporting yeah. events and basically advertising for american empire <laughs> right well, I, I, didn't, it, I, right? I didn't say it that way you did <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you were 32 when this this took place when you read Boyd? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that sounds, yeah, something like that. Around 32, 33. Yeah. I think yeah, it's this for right. me was like over the last couple of years, I'm 37. And so I almost feel sheepish w taking this long in life to actually turn my faith into something that is actually my own as opposed to kind of the tradition and stuff that I was grown up into. But Boyd was definitely Myth of a Christian Nation and then Brian Zond. I'll name drop for you that he was on your podcast as well. Yep. Yeah, that his, was the one that just book. came out the other day. The book that broke me, though, I was telling one of my friends tonight, the book that completely broke my back was um, The Kingdom of Leviticus? God. Leviticus? <laughs> 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 yeah, that, that one, yeah. That, yeah, that was rough. But For different reasons. It was... Um, the Kingdom of God is Within You um, by Leo Tolstoy, kind of, you know, late 19th century Russian literature. And in college, I read Tolstoy and philosophy, and I didn't know much about him. But the more that I've learned about him and just his position on things, and man, the guy was absolutely unbelievable 
unbelievable just with within the the Russian empire and the things that he was standing up for and the things that he wrote about and how his book was banished within the country and you know just crazy things but um interestingly enough and I don't know if you guys know this but Gandhi actually read a translated version of Tolstoy's uh, book, The Kingdom of God is Within You, and really shaped a lot of his views on nonviolence and non-resistance to evil. And I just thought that was amazing because everybody looks to Gandhi as this very, you know, massive pacifist, uh, pacifist, and he is. But just, just to think that he was influenced heavily by Tolstoy was amazing. So th- that book by Tolstoy completely broke me in half. And mm. I just recommend if anybody has a year of their life to slow read through something and just really absorb it, that's the book. Is it pretty dense? Yeah, I mean, it's really heady. Um, he, he's brilliant. And it just takes takes a while to understand what he's talking about. But I, I actually wish that there was just an easier version for people to read because it's so important. And and, and so in, in some ways, you, it, you know, if you want to know, like, the motivation sometimes of why what I write or what I say, I really think sometimes that I need to take some of these harder ideas and concepts that people would not normally read or try to understand and then put them in terms now today that people can understand. And so I I feel like in some way that's kind of my responsibility to take. Not everybody's going to go out and read Greg Boyd, even though they should. No one's going to read Tolstoy, but I feel like it's my responsibility to carry on their ideas uh, and 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 feed those down to people that normally would not connect with them. Yeah, one of the one of the quotes that I just p- pulled off the top of my head, um, <clears throat> Tolstoy, he said, uh, "The two most powerful warriors are patience and time." <laughs> Nice. Right uh, off the top of his head, Google. <laughs> I mean, you can follow Tolstoy on Twitter, so you know he's he's kicking it from the grave. You guys can that's still awesome. tap into that. That's some of the best side. That's the best side of Twitter. Yes, is little nuggets like that. There's a dark side, but we can leave that alone. You're on a hiatus, so we don't want to bother you with that. <laughs> yeah. Although, if you did like our tweets. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to so, get I'll have to get back on there and uh, cor- correct some of my wrongs. No, you're good. So, <laughs> so Brandon, just to take a a left turn here, I mean, when just listening to you, I mean, it seems like you're in a really good place, um, a, kind of a sweet spot, and you know, and having a, a good, just good people, good community to you know, sit with and, and talk with, I'm just curious, um, just speaking from experience, I'm just talking with my wife over the last few weeks and I'm like, I I don't like, it's not that I don't like where we're at, but like we've gotten to a place where we're really good, but I don't want to be good. I want to be thriving. So I'm just curious, um, you know, you've, you've got, you're painting a, a really sweet picture of of where you're at and and just going through life in this season and I'm I'm curious do you feel like you're being called anywhere else or do you are there challenges in life um that you're you're battling through 
Yeah, I mean, so there's certainly the side where I think where I'm at as an individual, I really feel I I feel good. I mean, I'm not perfect, like I said. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm struggling through, but you know, there and I have an absolutely amazing group of people that I'm connected with, and so that's a great thing as well, but you know, I would be absolutely remiss because because I think the real you know the real problem sometimes is we look at other people and think man you know I I just really wish that I could have what they have or I wish that I could you know tap into what they're tapping into and I I think to a certain extent there's some health you know it's healthy there healthy to have that kind of aspiration of of seeking out those places and you know e- even you know, uh, connecting with the heart of God more in your own individual life or whatever. But, you know, there is the real life side of community and our own lives. And I wrote something uh, probably about a few months ago, and I was just talking about suffering. And, you know, right now in the midst of this beautiful community that I'm in, like I'm one degree of separation from a friend of mine who was charged with nine felonies. I'm one degree of separation away from um, my best friends having a stillborn at nine months. You know, I'm one degree of separation from two close friends of mine, their marriages being on the rocks. I'm one degree of separation away from, you know, people who are dealing with porn on a real active basis that's killing their marriage. You know, I'm one and I could just keep going because it's just endless, you know. And so the amount of burden that that I carry, the amount amount of heartache that I have, um, I I honestly thought a, a couple of months ago that I I've never been in a place where I have felt so helpless, you know. You took the words right out of my brain. Right, because I'm, I'm a guy that likes to fix things, you know. I, right. I want to help people. I want to stitch things back together, whatever. And all I could think of is just how how much I hurt for everybody and just how I mm-hmm. have nothing. I don't, I mean, I don't have words. I don't have ways to fix it because I can't. And, and I, to be honest, man, I, I think it's the first time in my life where I just said, God, my God, I I don't have anything. You are going to have to do this. Right. And so I I hope I I just don't want to paint a picture that everything is always great and always good. I mean, the, the thing that's good and great all the time with us is that there's a community of love and support and fellowship. And that does not mean that things are perfect by any stretch. Right. But it's great to have. I mean, there's there's. I mean, there's some great things, but there's nothing there's nothing much better than having a community to fall back on. Um, you know, as we fall back on God, we also have that community of believers. No, I mean, um, you nailed it. And how, how go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, you know, <laughs> I, I I was really kind of myopic around that time. And I was, you know, kind of head down and leading the group and we're kind of plowing through first Corinthians. And, you know, I think that I finished one week and, you know, we had an okay discussion and I thought about it during the week and I thought, we're absolutely dying. We're aching. You know, people are carrying so much baggage and weight and, 
So the next week we got together and I just said, guys, guys, you know, we've been together for a long time. I think we've been together for about 10 years. And I said, we just got to open up. And I tell you what, we met for two hours and just people poured tears and just heart wrenching and just sharing with one another and hugging each other and loving one another. So you're, I think you nailed it. You know, it's like, it doesn't make you, um, it doesn't make, just because we have this fellowship doesn't make us immune from suffering or immune from pain. But my God, I'm so glad that we have what we have. It's just, just to sit there with one another or just to hug each other or just to cry with each other and get and help each other get through it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. There's great comfort in uh, just having good friends that you can fall back on it just to reiterate that it's, it's a sweet, sweet thing. Um, I'm very thankful of, of that. And it sounds like you just have a family of friends, um, and just the many things that you mentioned that the people are going through the challenges in life. And, um, I, I mean, I think everybody has whether it's themselves or or their friends that are going through challenges, those that don't have the community. Um, I mean, do you see them out there on the the outskirts of of you know whether it's within your community where you're like, how do I bring these people in, and do you go and engage with them? Um, to give them a community because it's easy when you just kind of fall into friendships and you sure. do life together, but then you see these people and you're like, like you were saying, like, I, I want to help, you know, how do I, how do I go about this? Yeah. I mean, I think about over the years, how that's looked and the way that it's played out. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I think the the times when we have been clicking on all cylinders and just been the very best is not when not just not just when we are supporting one another and caring for one one another's needs but when we've reached outside to people who are in those places of pain and those places of suffering and we've just been, surrounded them you know and e- either comforted them just with our presence or with our prayers or even you know financially or materially whatever you know i i i think it, it's interesting because i don't think that this is normally the way that we think about it within christian circles you know may, maybe there was a time when I don't know, maybe in the back of our minds as Christians, people think if we're reaching out to people who are suffering and we demonstrate love, then ultimately there's going to be kind of a return on that investment and they'll come to Christ, right? And so I'm not poo-pooing that idea, and I'm not saying that it's bad to think that you want people to experience this life to the fullest and, you know, whatever. But I think... I think we're kind of in a place now where we engage people where they're at. We demonstrate the love of Christ to everybody, no matter their situation or circumstance. And I think I'm getting way more comfortable with the idea of just being a seed sower. And, you know, everybody has an opportunity. Everybody has varying degrees of, you know, how they're going to do that or what they're going to do with it. 
but man, I'm just going to take all these seeds that I have and sow them everywhere that I go and just do it joyfully and, and not have any expectation because the point that I always make to people is that we sow the seeds and we do it joyfully. And then it's God who waters it and lets the sun shine Mm -hmm. down and makes it grow. And, And I think that I've carried around a burden too much in my life where I've felt like that everything that I do needs to have some sort of return on it. And it, maybe it's them looking for confirmed kills, <laughs> confirmed kill. That's right. It, it's such a, it's such an American mentality that we have that we carry around with us. But I Numbers. think, yeah, exactly. And and then we can start getting really discouraged about what we're doing. And I think it, it completely devours the joy that we should have doing everything that we do. And to be honest, you know, I think it was February of this year that I finally figured that out. I was ready to throw in the towel from writing. I had not started the podcast yet. I was completely done. I was so sick of it. You know, I I, I wasn't getting what I expected out of it. And then it finally hit me. I went on a mission trip in March uh, down to Mexico and was talking to one of my friends down there. And it just hit me. And I just said, man, you know. I'm the seed sower, you know, you guys know that parable about the seed sower and it talks about the soil and the rocks and the sun and the birds and the whole thing. And the way that we always teach that within the context of church, most of the times is that what kind of soil are you going to be, right? Are you going to be the fertile soil? Are you going to be the hard soil, whatever? And I just realized that day that well, that's that's a nice application, and I'm not saying that that's wrong because it certainly is an application. I realize that, man, I'm the seed sower, and God has given me these seeds to generously and liberally sow everywhere that I go, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it joyfully, and I'm just going to let them fall where they fall. And I think that it was at that moment where I realized that there's great liberation there and that, you know, everything that we do as a group and all the ways that we extend outward everywhere we go, every conversation that we have, every person that we meet, um, no matter what, we're just sowing the seeds joyfully. So, yeah, yeah, at some at some point in our lives. Or I guess in the beginning, when you first hear the gospel, where we are the soil, but then but then we grow up in uh, in the faith, and 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 then it it turns outward. So then we we start being the the bearer of of good news to the world, and then so yeah, we we become the sower. And and like you were saying, you know, in the First Corinthians three, where it says that uh, um, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. And so it's, just, <laughs> I love it. it's yes. always, always pointing towards God and not, not the work that we're doing, but just being faithful to the call. Um, and I, and I think Jeff, that y- you might've mentioned that um, you wanting to, you know, you're living life now uh, and things are good or they're, they're better than they were before. Um, and there's, you know, you don't necessarily have a problem with that, but you want to thrive or there's, there's the next step. Um, I mean, do you, do you, Jeff, do you think that you feel like you're, you're being called to do something more or, um, no, I I am absolutely. Um, and that's why, and it's more with my, it's more with my wife and, and where I, where we've, where we were, where we've come from and, how God has has healed us, lifted us up, and 
and then is driving at least myself to, you know, a calling um, and trying to get my wife on board and then having conversations with her that um, I'm like, I, you know what, everything's really good. But I'm like the person who asks everybody, you know, how is, how are you doing? They're like, I'm good. I'm like, nope, that's not good enough. Why aren't you <laughs> thriving? Why aren't you just awesome and um, on top of the world? And they're like, and, and just to have people think about that, like, just go. If God's calling you to places um, to do, to be, to, to fellowship, whatever it might be, go. And I just, I feel like 99% of the people, I know I say feel and it's not, you know, it's just a feeling, but I just, I feel that people just don't jump. They hear God calling and they don't jump. And I want to jump. I, I've jumped off the proverbial cliff of life and, and God called me to that. And so, um, you're yeah. jumping. It just might be in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that's, that's yeah, yeah, Scott, you bring up a, a, a good, good point. point. I, I want, want, I don't want good. I mean, I want just, I want the light from God to shine so bright through our hearts that it just goes out to everybody we're around. As you are, are saying, Brandon, just to just be there, to love people, to represent God in such an amazing way. I love it. Sign me so, up. I'm jumping. Brandon, you are at brandonandress.com. A-N-D-R-E-S-S dot com. You got it. And then Twitter, at some point, you'll be back on there, at brandonandress. And uh, so you got, you mentioned your writings. You have a couple books? Yeah, yeah. Two two books. And then the end will come. Uh, kind of a tongue-in-cheek. Um, actually, it, you know, it's probably back in vogue now that we're doing another election, but it's about the end of the world hysteria and mania that we're always within. And it's a little, it's a little slapstick. It's a little funny. Uh, definitely tongue in cheek, but I get super duper serious in it as well and try to reorient us back to the things that are important. And then my quintessential work is Unearthed, uh, How Discovering the Kingdom of God Will Transform the Church and Change the World. And that book was written probably uh, right after I discovered the kingdom myself. And so there was a lot of I had a lot to say. You were on fire. I was on fire. And I I was still, I I tell people I was still a little more Isaiah and not so much Jesus. So (laughs) (laughs) take that as you will. Yeah. Can you, speaking of, uh, and then the end will come, can you explain how um, Hillary Clinton is supposed to be the Antichrist <laughs> if she's not elected? I think that I said something, in the. if I can remember this, it's been a, a few years since I've written it, but there was a line in it that I said, I said, I believe that I had identified the Antichrist six times by 1984. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, I think it's it's just nonstop. It never ends. Everyone is the Antichrist. Uh, Gorbachev, Reagan, Bush, Obama. Yeah, Gorbachev had the mark on his head. That's right. Way to go. That one's more obvious. Just talking about funny stuff, I remember at one point I was 
I don't know, maybe eight, nine, ten years old. And I remember reading Matthew 24, and it's talking about the wars and the rumors of war and all of that stuff and the moon turning to blood. And I remember getting out of my bed and looking out the window, and I was like, it kind of looks red. And I thought, you know, is this it? And it always kind of puts you in that place where you're always anticipating and expecting and being nervous. And so hopefully through the book, I I take people from all of the mania and the hysteria and the stress and the anxiety of uh, everything that we're cooking up nowadays and just really center it back on what's important, who we're to be in the midst of chaos, and what role and responsibility that we have as people of the kingdom. So, Yeah, and and not to add to the hysteria, but just to mention that I think next week or this week is the (laughs) supermoon, and it hasn't happened since 1948, which was when uh, Israel was called back to the land. I'm just saying. Are you calling it? I'm just, I, I, it's, no, it's gonna, I mean, it's scientific. It's gonna happen. It happens every so often. Oh, the moon. The moon happens. Yes. Moon. So if we learn one thing from this podcast, Scott Holbert, the moon happens. The moon (laughs) happens. That's gonna be the title of my book eventually. The moon happens. So do you have any more? So your blog is at brandonandrus.com and your podcast as well, Outside the Walls, with your just as, Awesome stream of guests, Shane Claiborne, Brian Zahn, Richard Rohr. Um, and you said you have Greg Boyd coming up. I do. Yeah, that's that's exciting. So do you have any books lined up? Are you working on anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of am. Um, I'm kind of in and out of it. I mean, I eventually will finish it one day. I think I'm two chapters down. Who knows how long it'll go, but... Um, I'm trying to even think of what it what it's called. <laughs> I think it's called um, Learning to See Beauty in the Wreckage. So it's called Eyes Open, Learning to See the Beauty in the Wreckage. And it's just about, you know, in the midst of the world that we live in and the chaos around us um, of really kind of reclaiming those places where... Um, how we're learning to see beauty again, how we're learning to find those places of peace and space. And um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I mean, it's not a very good summary of it, but um, you know, maybe in the next year or so we'll we'll, we'll, we'll finish (laughs) it up. I'm down. You've got my interest. That's for sure. Well, cool. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. The bros. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming on bros, Bibles and beer. Can we get you on tape saying something about us? Not about Zach specifically, though. Hi, this is Brandon Andrus, and you're listening to Bros, Bible, and Beers. Is that right? <laughs> that works. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. You guys only have one Bible instead of multiple Bibles. Bros, Bible, and Beers. <laughs> I think it's, it's actually Bros, Bibles, and Beer. So it's it's sing, beer is singular. Obviously, that's not literal. We share. We share... Oh, no, is it a literal translation? No, it's not literal. It's metaphorical. So there's usually a lot of beer and less Bible. We did more Bible today than yeah, most days, so it was good. good. I OD'd I on Bible. Sorry about that. I should have been... No, that that's beautiful. Well, go to your confession uh, group. I will. You, know, you guys convicted me. 
<laughs> All right. Thanks, Brandon, for, yeah, for joining us. Yeah. Good talking to you guys. Have I a good one. Yeah. Enjoy the podcast. A, Keep yeah, it going. I consider you a friend of the podcast now. Yeah. Likewise, cool? guys. When I get back on social media, you'll be my friends. Beautiful. <laughs> See ya. Thank, have a good one. Thanks, Brandon. Bye-bye. Scott, that was Brandon Andrus. That was. What do you think? Uh, he's got a lot to say, um, and he's passionate about it. A lot to say, passionate. Jeff? I love that he's just in community and doing life with people. That's that's awesome, and it's a, it's just a great way to, to do life. With people. <laughs> yes. In community. Yeah, in community. Together. Together, confessing your sins, hugging, crying, well, house so, churching, yeah, not it, getting paid, volunteering. Um, and yeah. doing ministry. Okay, ministry does not have to be getting paid. You can do everything for free in the Midwest. Can you? Well, no, but you, you, you can't do that in California. I'm just going to volunteer. There's no volunteering in California. You got to make money. Well, I mean, you can have a job. I mean, everything's a million dollars. Not my condo. Half it's a million. Close, though. Quarter of a million. Exactly, actually. What? Yeah. What do you What do you mean? What? Like like it's a, some chump change? No, not at all. I'm shocked that there's even anything. Wait, where? What are we doing? I don't know. You just made fun of my condo. Well, explain yourself, Jeff. I'm a renter, so you own. You had a You had a uh, house. Yeah, well, I still do. First world problems. Yeah, I know. He's 52. I'm he's renting. A gym teacher. And he's a renter. I'm renting, but the house that I do own. <laughs> Anyway, All right, well, Brandon was Brandon was good. It was insightful. I, I just love hearing about the good life in the Midwest. Yeah, and uh, listening to the podcast, he 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 is passionate. He's he's um, you said that he's got um, he's got a an idea, a lot to say. Scott, can I? People have ideas. He, yeah, he's got a voice and he's got a lot to say. To quote MXPX. Uh, he does pass air through his vocal cords. He does have a voice. But he, I want to say, uh, he's got a bug. I think there's a bug. Uh, he's got a bug in his brain. Um, Kingdom it's, bug. And it's a big issue. Um, it's a big I wanted to get into that a little bit more, but I guess I wussed out. But no, I mean, we, we wanted to go in a certain direction. He's a I, friend of the show, Scott. He'll be back. Oh, okay. You write that stuff down. All right. I'm going to put it out down on my computer. Pray about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God what I should ask Brandon. I have, I built a little cross downstairs. You can write a post-it note and just pin it on the cross. <laughs> <laughs> that Yeah, that certificate of death. I'm going to nail it to the cross. Is that mine? No, it's mine. Are you going to bury me it's in Brandon's backyard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what secrets is he hiding? <laughs> All right, where can people find us? Bros, Bibles, and beers. Southern Orange County. Southern Orange County. Wait, are, I, 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 bbbpod.com. Okay, I was going to ask, is it bbbpod or is it bros, Bibles, beer? Bros, is it bros, Bible, beer? Or bros, Bibles, beers? Bibles, and beers. bbbpod.com. Twitter is at bros, Bibles, beer. Facebook, bros, Bibles, beer. Instagram, Bros Bibles Beer, and we have a review to read real quick as we wrap this up. Which one, Kylie W? 
Great stuff. Such a good podcast. Real and authentic. Can't wait for each new episode. Fist bump. Fist bump. Fist bump. Oh, those are fist bumps. What are the, what's the one after the third fist bump? Explosion. And tornadoes. Two tornadoes. Wow. So we got five stars plus three fist bumps, an explosion, two tornadoes. Wow. Tornado fist bumping explosions. Well, thank you, Kylie. And we would like to have you as on as a guest, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, what are you just doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Well, you, hey, wa- you want to be my friend? I can, come on, podcast. Hey, I can make decisions, all right? <laughs> no Kylie, doubt. Kylie, you're going to be on as a guest, and they can't do anything about it. Uh, we're we're going to edit that out. <laughs> oh, man. that people need to know about besides buy this freaking book. I just need to know that we're listening to one of the all-time great podcasts. You, those Bibles and beers. You knock it off. That is ridiculous. <laughs> you stop it, Mike. <Yeah. clears throat> Don't quote me, bro.